This is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. He who believes on him is not condemned, but he who believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Before we begin our study in God's word uh, this evening, or this morning rather, let's uh, bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the light that it sheds upon our path. And as the psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It illuminates reality for us in a way that nothing else can do it. It is your revelation to us to unveil ultimate reality that on the basis of your truth, on the basis of the eternal, uh, timeless principles that you embedded within the creation, that we can learn them, we can live according to them, and as we do so, we live successfully. Success is determined not in light of uh, financial gains or temporal achievements in terms of education or career, but in light of our walk with you. And that when all else is done, and when that day comes that we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the only thing that will matter is how we walked with you during this life. And that is based on wisdom, the importance of your word as we study now in the book of Proverbs. So, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, help us to understand the things that we read and study here in Proverbs chapter 2. We pray that we might be responsive to the challenge of God the Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 2. In this lesson, we're focusing on the impact of God's Word as a protection to our life. And this really functions in a couple of different ways. Number one, it is the Word of God itself as it is taken into our soul and changes the way in which we think and react to life. That is one form of protection. But as we do that and we walk, as the text says, uprightly, which means in conformity to God's revelation, then God himself becomes that shield for us. And this is very much a part of the whole metaphor that I've used in uh, teaching on the spiritual life, the uh, spiritual fortress that we develop and build within our own soul as we incorporate into our thinking the principles of God's Word, exchanging the errors and personal opinions and biases that that we learn from parents and peers and professors for the eternal truth of God's Word. So we focused today, last time we focused on the priority of the volition in the first part of Proverbs chapter 2. 
And that's so important. I want to go back and just review that briefly before we get into the results, because what we find in Proverbs 2 in the structure of this chapter is this actual second lesson, as we'll see in the instruction of the father to the son, is the first four verses laid down the condition for successful living, for wise living. These are all expressed in a uh, four different um, or uh, or three different uh, conditional clauses. Uh, Verse 1, if you receive my words. Uh, Verse 3, if you cry out for discernment. And verse 4, if you seek her as silver. The focal point in these first four verses is on our volition. Before we can ever get to the results of our volition, the results of this, uh, these are indicated by the uh, phrase then, or the word then that we see at the beginning of verse 5, and again at the beginning of verse 9. That brings out this the importance of the results. Uh, the first section, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, 5 through 8, focuses on the results in our relationship with God. And the second part, verses 9, verse 9 and following to the end of the chapter, focuses on the results in reference to our relationship to other people. Uh, I've changed up a couple of things or kind of rewritten some stuff. What we see here in Proverbs 1, 8 through 9, 18, uh, an integrated whole, are several lessons from the father to the son. The father, in this case, isn't passing on his own experience, his own biases, his own uh, opinions about life. He is representing God. He's passing on the truth of God's word. He is following the mandates of Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, and the Mosaic Law, uh, teaching the parents are to continuously teach the law to their children. It is the primary responsibility of parents to teach their children. And this is the one of the primary ways in which uh, our spiritual heritage is passed from one generation to another. So the first lesson was in 1, 8 through 19, the challenge to for the son to listen, to pay attention, to apply. Listening has an ethical or spiritual element to it in Scripture. It's not just the academic study but it is listening with a view to application and change in one's life that the son is to pay attention to and be transformed by the father's guidance. And this also means rejecting the opinions, the uh, beliefs, the pressures that, that come from his own peer group. Then the last part of chapter one was an aside talking about the value of wisdom for the life, that wisdom strengthens us in contrast to the open-minded person, the fool, the naive one who just sucks up anything and makes a decision based on whatever seems to work for me today. Then in the second lesson, the challenge is to seek wisdom. That's the first four verses, or five verses, rather, uh, six verses, excuse me, four verses. can't count this morning. Um, Seek wisdom to find the knowledge of God. That's the appeal to the volition. If we don't make that decision, that that commitment in our own life to make doctrine number one, 
to make that a priority every single day, to be reminded of God's Word, to have what we've learned reinforced by hearing it again and again and then applying it in our life. If we don't make that a commitment, then we fall off the path, the the path that God has set before us, and we fall prey to all of the ambushes that the world system, the peers, the uh, evil evil doers around us uh, set as traps. And so we're to seek wisdom to find the knowledge of God first and foremost. And it is that knowledge of God, not, and we must understand, the knowledge of God here is not an understanding of theology proper. It is an understanding of who God is. It is, it is developing a, a, an intimate, close relationship with God based on what we learn in his word. So we seek wisdom to find the knowledge of God, and that alone can protect us and shield us from self-destruction. And there are, and what, what I've always found to be fascinating is when you find people, now nobody goes through life unscathed. Nobody goes life through life without facing uh, certain difficulties or challenges. For some, they may come in the arena of health. For others, they may come in the arena of relationships with parents or with children. For others, they may come in the arena of your job or career or finances. Uh, For most of us, we hit two or three of these as we go through the course of life. But generally, there's usually one area or another which really seems to uh, hit us hard. That's the area of our primary testing related to the the weaknesses of of our own sin nature. And as we go through life, we are faced with these challenges. But what the Word of God says is there are, there are untrackable. And what I mean by that is that you can't sit down and draw a straight line, cause and effect, between the cause being the doctrine that's in your soul and the effect meaning the way things come into your life. There are... But there, there's, there are these untrackable as, uh, consequences as opposed to unintended consequences. What I'm saying here is these are untrackable consequences. That as you watch a believer who grows to maturity, you observe in their life that generally speaking, there are, there are problems and issues and things that just won't hit them. Because they make wise decisions, they avoid certain traps. The unbeliever or the believer operating on human viewpoint constantly seems to be dealing with self-induced misery and self-generating crises that if they just learned how to live life wisely, they would avoid a lot of the traps, a lot of the pain, a lot of the problems that come into their life. just be, but just I want to caution you just because you're walking with the Lord doesn't mean that we don't go through certain types of suffering. We're living in the devil's world after all, and I covered the uh, different categories and types of suffering uh, recently in the Roman study on Thursday night. But generally speaking, we, we the, the person who lives on the basis of the value system of the world around us, is on a path of self-destruction, which is defined in this chapter, as death. It is not physical death. It is a death-like existence, and they're just constantly dealing with 
with problems and crises and nothing ever seems to work. Uh, even as believers who are operating on wisdom go through some times like that, I understand that. But generally speaking, over the course of life, there are some people we watch and they just never get it together. And we wonder what in the world is going on. And even though we may not see it, what is going on in the background is they're just just living according to uh, the dictates of their sin nature so often that they can't they can't and don't make wise decisions. In contrast, we're told that the believer, the one who's positive, who's living on the basis of wisdom, is just going to avoid a lot of issues and situations and circumstances because he doesn't make decisions that are going to put him in uh, those negative situations. He's not going to go down certain paths that are loaded with snares and traps and temptations that can lead to self-destruction. And so the challenge for us is, do we really, really want to know the Word of God? Now, there are a lot of people who think they're positive because they listen to the Word, they listen to Bible class, or they come to Bible class two or three times a week. But the measure of our positive volition isn't how thick our doctrinal notebooks are. It doesn't have anything to do with how many times we come to class. It has to do with what we do, with what we learn, when we come to class, we have to come to class consistently and frequently because we have to we have to counter the message from the from the world system around us. Uh, we are bombarded much more than we ever imagined with the message of the world, the value system, the relativism uh, of the world. We we it comes across through. Uh, news shows that we watch. It comes across through uh, people we listen to, maybe on talk radio. It comes across from uh, our peers, our family, uh, from professors, teachers that we've had, all kinds of influences, and it's 24-7. There is constant, we are constantly under a barrage of worldly chatter. It's constant. You just can't avoid it. And, if, and the, one of the great self-deceptions of our sin nature is to think that by uh, listening to the Word of God being taught for 45 minutes or an hour once a week, that somehow that 45 minutes can counter uh, seven days of worldly chatter and worldly influence. And we're just deceiving ourselves. Sometimes I want to tell people, if you think all you, can, all you need is what's on Sunday morning, you're at the wrong church. Because we deal with reality here. You need to get serious about your Christian life. Showing up once a week isn't enough. It's never been enough. It's not going to be enough. It's a start, and I'm glad you're here once a week. But you need to wake up and make it a little more serious because the reality is one day when this life is over with, we're going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ, and it's not going to matter what else you did in life. What's going to matter is how much of the Word of God transformed your thinking and my thinking so that we lived our lives walking in fellowship. We lived our lives by applying the Word of God consistently so that our character was transformed so that we're prepared for the next stage, which is to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. That's And, and the rewards that we get at, at the judgment seat of Christ are going to be directly related to how we grew as believers in this life, how we matured, and the capacity 
that we developed. And that's what wisdom, developing wisdom is all about, and that's what these challenges are all about. So in this second lesson, the Father begins in those first uh, four verses stating what the conditions are. You, we have to receive the Word. We have to treasure value above anything else, the commands of Scripture, um, with the result that we incline our ear to wisdom, apply our heart to understanding. It's that focal point. Yes, he says in verse 3, if you cry out for discernment. See, he ramps it up. It's not just receiving the words or treasuring it, but it's crying out for it. That's that's the next level of pursuit of the of the word. You're, you, you desire it so much, you're, you're, you're screaming for it. And you lift up your voice for understanding. You want more. You want to study more. You want to learn more. And then the fourth uh, condition is seeking wisdom as silver and searching for it as hidden treasure. And that is putting a high priority on the Word of God above everything else in life. From there we go to uh, the conclusion on the bottom verse, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. I think there we go. Then you will understand right uh, the fear of the Lord, verse 5, and find the knowledge of God. That's what verses 5 through 8 actually focus on, is that the prerequisite, if you want to know God, we hear people all the time, well, I'd like to know God. Well, you've got to put forth a little effort. You've got to study the Word, and eventually you'll get it. You've got to put your priority there. God is not going to disclose Himself to us through the Word if we're not taking the time to truly understand the Word. Now, you may say, well, I don't understand how that happens. It doesn't matter whether you understand how it happens or not. The command is that we have to make that a priority. And if we are in fellowship, walking by the Spirit, and we make that a priority, and you make a decision that you're going to be in Bible class three times a week or you're going to listen three or four times a week, and I will suggest that if you are serious about that and you do that and you apply it, in a year's time, you will see a tremendous transformation in your life. You may be looking at things that are going on in your life and say, well, I don't understand why these things keep happening to me. And they keep happening to you because of a variety of reasons, but mostly because you're not really serious about your walk with the Lord and you're walking according to the, uh, the, the, the world system. So the first result of these conditions is that we grow in our knowledge of God and our intimacy with him. And then the second result has to do with our day-to-day uh, decision-making and the, our, our relationship to people around us. At verse 9 starts, Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. Now, that concept of the path uh, plays out a lot in the second part of this chapter. That's the direction of your life and the choices that we make as we go through day to day as we move forward. That has to be built upon an understanding of what is right. That's the concept of tzedakah or righteousness, that which is right, that which conforms to God's standard and justice. And, And this... We, we discern the path. Well, the discerning the path and the way to go comes only as a result of following the conditions of verses uh, 1 uh, through 4. So we look at this first section today, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That comes only if you follow the first uh, set of conditions in verses 1 through 4. 
And then there's an explanation. So the first result has to do with our relationship, knowledge, intimacy with God. And then there's an explanation of that indicated by the first word in verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. That word for in Hebrew indicates an explanation. How will we, how does this work? That if we treasure the commands, the wisdom of God, cry out for it, uh, then we will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Why? Because this knowledge and this understanding comes only from God. That was the focus of the uh, passage in Job that I read in Job 28, 12 through 28. God gives wisdom. We can't find it any other place. You can't search it out on your own. You can't find it through your brilliant intellect, and you can't discover it through your experience. You can only learn it by studying that which God has revealed uh, in his word. Uh, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and he is a shield to those who walk uprightly. That is where it, it leads. There's a progression here. First, we seek it with everything that we have. Then we will develop that relationship with God. As that develops, then God begins to dispense to us uh, wisdom and knowledge. This comes through divine revelation. That We'll see that as we look at the passage. And then we're told that God has treasured this up. He has stored this up for us. And it is through that wisdom, called sound wisdom here, it's a different word for wisdom, we'll see, the result of that is his protection in our life. And that protection comes both from his word and from his sovereign oversight of our life. He's a shield, he guards, and he preserves. That's the protection of the soul fortress that we have in our life and the protection of God. Now, as we get into this passage, we see again some of the key words that uh, we find throughout Proverbs talking about uh, various synonyms for wisdom. Uh, in, the, in verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Now, here the, the, the verb is uh, being, which is a verb form. We have a related noun uh, in verse 6 at the end, uh, tabina, that's the noun for understanding. And this has to do with, with making decisions between things. It has to do with, with uh, evaluation and then making a, a choice. So then we will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is an, a knowledge that is applicational. It's somewhat related to uh, epinosis rather than gnosis in the New Testament. Gnosis is the basic Greek word for knowledge. It's intensified with a pre, uh, prefix epi, a preposition, indicating that it's an applicable knowledge, a knowledge ready for application. It's not just abstract information. It's gone from information to usable, appliable knowledge. That's da'at. When it is applied consistently and we learn from it and develop skill at application, that's when it becomes chokhmah, wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom, and it is from his mouth that knowledge comes. This is a reference to special revelation. Knowledge comes from no other source than God. He gives knowledge and understanding. 
He stores up sound wisdom, totally different word here for wisdom, tashia, which has to do with a, a skillful application of wisdom as well. Uh, for the upright, he's a shield to those who walk uprightly. This is starting to show the results of that. He, he's a shield, he guards, and he preserves. Now, I started developing a nice little chart to help, and I'm going to print this out, but I've got to do a revision because I ran across the word tashia after I'd made the chart. So now I've got to change it from, from an, uh, an octagon and add at least one more uh, compartment to it as uh, we move through this. But uh, uh, you may not be able to see it because I'm trying to squeeze it all in. I can't make it any larger. I'm sorry. That's why I'm going to print it out, and we'll have a handout so you can, you can read everything. But I tried to put the, the, the main words up in larger typeface so you could at least grasp that. If we start at the 12 o'clock position and go in a clockwise motion, we see the different words wisdom, chokhmah, which has to do with skill or prudence, being, being wise. This is often not a choice between right and wrong, but what is best and better. And often we settle in life for that which is a little more comfortable. It's not wrong. It's not against God. It's just a little easier. Uh, wisdom is the ability to uh, and, and discernment relate to making those kind of choices, choosing that which is best instead of that which is better so that we pursue excellence in the spiritual life. Uh, instruction, Musar, is a disciplined instruction. It's not just uh, sitting and learning and having a... Uh, uh, sort of, uh, I'm going to go to Bible class two or three times a week, and I'm just going to be there. But where you're really disciplined in your own study, taking notes, going home, uh, looking the scriptures up, or, uh, thinking through what was taught again in terms of how this applies in my own life. Understanding, this is really the concept of discernment, being able to look at life situation and think about it in terms of its spiritual dimensions. One of the great examples of, of, this, of, of discernment that I see in Scripture occurred in the life of David. When David was a young man, he was probably a, a late teenager, and he wasn't old enough yet to serve in the army of Israel. Uh, the Israelites were attacked by the Philistines, and they uh, come down to the Valley of Elah, and they sit up on one ridge and the Israelites on the other, and every day the Philistines sent out their their big giant uh, Goliath uh, to utter a challenge to the Israelites. And the Israelites just don't respond to it, and they just shake in their boots, and none of them want to take on Goliath in one-on-one -on -one combat. And there's absolutely no faith, no discernment, no wisdom at all in the camp of Israel. And David's brothers are there, and his dad sends David there with some uh, to resupply their, uh, their their food resources. And while David is there, he heard Goliath come out in the middle of the day and utter his challenge. And David responds to that by saying, what's with this uncircumcised Philistine? Now, a lot of people are just going to read through that, and they're going to think that his use of uncircumcised there is just some sort of pejorative, an insult. Oh, he's just not being politically correct. He's making just an ethnic slur, something like that. But his, that's the most important word in the whole, uh, the whole story because it's, it's the hermeneutical key to understanding why David is able to do what he does. He understands that the issue is who controls the land that they're on. 
The land God promised to Israel has been invaded by the Philistines, and they don't have any right to be there because they are not heirs to the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what signifies heirship to the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It's the sign of the covenant, circumcision. So what David is saying when he says, says, what's with this uncircumcised Philistine, is he's saying, this guy has no right to be here. God's in our camp. I mean, there's a, just a whole boatload of doctrine that is indicated by that word uh, uncircumcised. He has the discernment, the understanding to evaluate the real issue at stake in this in the whole conflict that these guys have no right to be here. God's the one who gave us a title deed to this land. So it, it, we just have to rely upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're going uh, to defeat this, this blowhard. We're going to take him out, and it's real simple. But he is able to see past all the chatter, all the negatives, all the details to focus on what the real spiritual issue is, and that's discern, discernment or understanding. Another word for wisdom, uh, focusing on intelligence, is the Hebrew word sakal, then there's an idea of craftiness. The negative is that the, the serpent was the most crafty in the garden. It's someone who's able to think in terms of all the details of a situation or a problem. It uh, has to do with uh, being able to make, therefore, prudential or wise decisions. It's very close in meaning a counterpart to, to the synonym for, for chokhmah, wisdom. There's knowledge, which is da'at, appliable knowledge, which I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, discretion, uh, mazima, uh, purpose or discretion. It has to do, uh, interestingly enough, uh, the root of this word has something to do with a, a rope that, um, uh, that initially was used in, in sailing vessels in guiding and directing the, the vessel. So it has to do with planning and purpose and direction. And then we have the word that shows up in this passage, Shia, which is wisdom for successful living. Chokmah emphasizes the skill aspect, whereas Tashima emphasizes more the results of that skillful living in one's life. So these are just the different facets, uh, all these different synonyms that are used in uh, Proverbs, each emphasizing a different aspect, different nuance of the idea of wisdom. So when we make doctrine our priority, the result is we will understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. But we, it starts with our volition. God has already revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself to us uh, non-verbally through general revelation as, uh, as theologians talk about it. Through general revelation, this is also referred to as common grace. Common grace is a knowledge that God makes available to every single human being. Whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, you have access to certain amounts of knowledge related to the creation, and you can learn it through the study of creation. You can study science, you can study uh, society, you can study liberal arts, you can study history, you can study uh, literature, you can study all kinds of things and learn a certain measure of information. Uh, whether you can organize it correctly to come up with the right uh, interpretation for, for living life depends upon getting the revelation from God that is the key to organizing that. That's what the Lord gives in verse 6 and uh, what he provides through special revelation from his mouth. 
secondly, we see different levels of knowledge. The first was common grace. The second is that there is a superficial or elementary biblical truth that's available to everyone. Now, often where what I've heard, what you've heard, is that spiritual truth can't be discerned except by the Holy Spirit or except if you're regenerate. And that can't be absolutely true. What do you mean? What I mean is you have the whole Old Testament period when not one single believer had the Holy Spirit to enlighten his mind to the knowledge of God's Word. But you have the psalmist praying to God to enlighten his mind all the time. So how is this done? It's done at a level that is not as as intense or intimate as what comes in the church age. That's one of the distinctions between the Old Testament period and the New Testament period. But you also have examples of of unbelievers in both the Old Testament and the New Testament who come to a certain knowledge of biblical truth and they're not regenerate. Uh, for example, the Bereans in Acts 16, in Berea or Beria as it's pronounced in Greek, when Paul and uh, Silas go there and they're teaching in Berea, Paul says, and, and they didn't just take Paul's word at it. I mean, Luke writes this. They didn't take Paul's word at it. But the Bereans went home every day, and they searched the Scriptures to see if what he said was true. Now, they're not saved yet. They don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I think that the Holy Spirit's working in some sense there because that, that's in the church age, but it's not emphasized. There's a knowledge of biblical truth at a very elementary level that even the unbeliever can access that goes beyond just simple uh, common grace. Then we have um, we have a clear understanding of Scripture. This will be the fourth level. A, a clear understand, or the excuse me, the third one. A clear understanding of significance of Scripture to those who are regenerate. First Corinthians two fourteen that that the un, unbeliever, the natural man, cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God, for they are spiritually discerned. They have to be regenerate. So there's a certain amount of knowledge available to everyone that's common grace. There's a superficial or elementary level of biblical truth available to uh, anyone apart from the Holy Spirit. But a clear understanding comes only to those who are regenerate through the uh, illuminating ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. Fourth, in common grace, the Lord implants a certain amount of instinctive wisdom in animals. This is described in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24 to 28, that they know how to do things, and the word wisdom is used there. The ants and other animals uh, do what they do because of this uh, instinctive wisdom that God uh, gives or implants in, in, in animals. Uh, to the farmer, we're told in Scripture that uh, God gives basic knowledge for growing things in Isaiah 28, 26 to 29. And also there, there's a basic sense of moral right and wrong as seen in Job 22, 22 and Job 32, 8. But fifth, we see here a more in-depth perception of the knowledge of Scripture. This goes beyond just understanding the words, the vocabulary, and the basic superficial meaning, but to truly understand its application in my own life. It's not some sort of mystical insight. It comes like anything else in life. If you read anything 20 or 30 times that has to do with, with any kind of production, 
the more you read it and think about it, the more insight you derive into how to apply it. And that's what we see here, as the more we pursue the study of Scripture, the more God will help us to understand it and enlighten, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he enlightens the eyes of our soul so that we can see how this is uh, to be applied. So this whole section here deals with uh, understanding divine revelation. Now we know that wisdom and true knowledge only comes from only come from from God. Uh, Proverbs eight twenty two is personification of wisdom. It says the Lord possessed me that's wisdom at the beginning of His way, before His works of old. I have been established from everlasting from the beginning before there was ever an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Wisdom precedes the creation of mankind. It is in the mind of God, as seen also in Job uh, 28, 12 to 28, and Daniel 2, 21 to 22, emphasizing all wisdom comes from God. It's described in the New Testament under two pa- key passages on inspiration. In First Peter or Second Peter 1, 20 and 21, Paul, uh, Peter says, Know this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, the way we use the word interpretation, a lot of people read that and say, well, that has to do with how we understand the Scripture, but that's not what the passage is talking about. It's talking about how the prophet, that the prophet didn't make up what he wanted to to say it. It didn't come, he didn't generate what he wrote from his own mind. It came from outside of his mind. Uh, so what Peter is saying, no prophecy of Scripture is from any private uh, interpretation or explanation. It's not coming out of the individual. For, and then he explains this, for prophecy never came by the will of man. Now, that's a good way of expressing it in English. In in, um, in the Greek, it's a little different. It, it expresses it more positively. Uh, prophecy uh, never came into existence by the will of man. It's, it's, it says no prophecy. that It's not worded that way, but that gets the sense across. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So here I added a a little more literal translation. Know this first. Emphasis on priority. Peter's saying you have to understand this because this is why we emphasize Scripture as the foundation for everything in life. All prophecy of Scripture. So it's stated more positively in the Greek. All prophecy of Scripture does not derive from one's own interpretation. And the word there in the Greek, genomai, is a word that means something that comes into existence. So to make sense in English, we reverse the negatives in there to state it. No prophecy of, uh, of Scripture comes into existence from one's own interpretation or explanation. So no prophecy originates or comes into existence out of just an individual's own thinking. For prophecy, he says in explaining this, was not brought from human will. The the content of Scripture didn't have its origin in human will, but men spoke from God by being carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the word there that is used for carrying along is the same word is used of a wind blowing a sailing vessel across the water. The wind carries the vessel across the sea. So the Holy Spirit is being compared to this unseen force that is directing and moving uh, 
uh, the individual prophets in their writing of Scripture. Second key verse, one we all know pretty well, is in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, but I wanted to look first at the context because here Paul is talking to Timothy about his experience growing up. Now, his experience in learning the Scripture growing up was in the pre-Pentecost period before the church age began. He learned a lot of doctrine before the Holy Spirit came. That reinforces a point I was making earlier, that a certain amount of doctrine is available and understandable uh, apart from the Holy Spirit, but it's basic. It's it's just foundation uh, foundational. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, Paul says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. These are things he had already learned before he was saved, knowing from whom you learned them. He had already talked about his his, uh, uh, mother and grandmother. And that from childhood, that puts it before the the, the, uh, crucifixion and the day of Pentecost, from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So when he's talking about the Scriptures here, he's not talking about the New Testament at all because nothing in the New Testament had been written at that time when Timothy was a child and a young man. So verses 16 and 17 focus on, you know, in terms of direct interpretation, the Old Testament more than the New, although it's applied to the New. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is the Greek word theopneustos, which means it's breathed out by God. God is the one who originates Scripture. It is from his mouth, so to speak. He originates it, and he exhales it uh, through the Holy Spirit's moving upon the prophets. He exhales the Scripture into the minds of the writers of Scripture, which guarantees that what they wrote Uh, to be without error, infallible, and perfect, because it's not the words of the individual. It's not their opinion. If it was their opinion, we have over 40 authors of Scripture, but they don't contradict each other. Now, you usually find liberals who come along, and they'll say, well, there's a contradiction here and a contradiction there. But if you think in terms of the Bible as your presupposition, then all of these so-called contradictions uh, are, are, are explainable and understandable. So what we find is that God is the one who provides us with wisdom, and he stores up for us sound wisdom. This is applicable knowledge, applicable wisdom. He stores it up for the upright, for the upright. And this word uh, for the upright really focuses on those who live with integrity. The upright are those whose lifestyle does not uh, deviate from the path of righteousness, from the divinely revealed code of conduct for the believer. So God is storing this and dispensing it. So it's this issue of volition, learning what you can, applying that, then God gives you more understanding and gives you more wisdom. You learn that, and he's not going to give you a lot until you have gone through this step-by-step growth process. The results are then described at the end of verse 7 and verse 8. He's a shield to those who walk uprightly. This shield metaphor is used many times 
uh, in the Scripture, and there are some great promises for that. Psalm 3.3, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. God's the only protection we have. All the other things that we think of in terms of coping devices and mechanisms uh, work on a superficial level but not on an existential and everlasting spiritual level. Only the Word of God gives us that protection. God is our shield. I love Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I don't think David could add anything else there to communicate the idea that when we're walking with the Lord, he is our total, absolute protection, and it doesn't matter what is going on around us. He is going to sustain us. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have some some uh, uh, difficult emotions in the midst of challenging circumstances. Even Jesus in his humanity had dealt with difficult emotions, but he didn't let those emotions drive him in wrong directions. We go through all kinds of things that, that generate these emotions. The issue is, are we going to apply doctrine and not yield to that, or are we going to let the emotions run our life? Psalm 1830, it's for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I will praise him. We have joy and we praise God because we have seen him function as our shield and our protection. Psalm 33:20 our soul waits for the Lord that's a metaphor for trust he's our help and he is our shield and so Proverbs 2:7 he stores up sound wisdom for the upright he's a shield to those uh, who walk uprightly and then lastly verse 8 he guards the paths of justice uh, as we walk down this this path uh, of righteousness God is the one who sets up a guard, a protection around us. This is what I'm talking about. We can't draw a direct line, cause and effect. This is, this is those, uh, the, the consequences that we can't, uh, that we can't draw patterns on. We can't draw direct lines. He's the one, when we're walking him, by Him, He is going to, it's expressed in Proverbs 3, uh, 5 and 6, 5 and 6. He makes our paths straight. It's the same idea. He guards those paths and directs us unseen in the background because we have made this commitment and this we have this desire to study and know the way, and he preserves the way of his saints. It's literally his godly ones. It's the noun form for chesed, chesed meaning, meaning God's faithful, loyal love, the chesedim, which is where we get the word for chesedic and chesedim, the holy ones, that's those who are walking in faithfulness uh, to God. So he guards and he preserves our way. But the issue, the starting point is our volition. Are we going to make the word of God a priority? Are we going to continue? Uh, so many Christians do this. They just play games with God and they just have a superficial attachment to God's word, but they don't really give themselves over completely to it. They don't cry out for it. They don't scream for it. They just say, okay, it's convenient for me to go to church this Sunday. Uh, it's a little tough to get there Tuesday and Thursday night. I constantly forget to plug in and turn the uh, computer on a uh, live stream. No, that, that's not going to cut it. 
Christianity won't, quote, work for you unless you make it a priority. And Christianity is the only thing that's going to work for anybody because it's the only path of truth. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word this morning, to be challenged by the scriptures, to make your word a priority in our life, to cry out for it, to scream for it, to recognize that we have to engage our volition. And once we pursue that, then you are the one who will disclose yourself to us through your word, through that which you have revealed, and through God the Holy Spirit, spiritual growth, spiritual strength will develop within us. And as we walk down the path that you have set forth in your word following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, over time we will see incredible strength and wisdom and skill in our own lives because you are the one that produces that as a result of, but first as a result of our making this a priority. Father, we pray that there's anyone here this morning, anyone unsure of their salvation or uncertain of their eternal destiny, that they would make this a priority to make sure that they are saved. All that is necessary is that you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he is the promised Messiah, the Deliverer, uh, as <clears throat> described in hundreds of passages in the Old Testament, who would come and deliver all mankind from their sin, that he is the one who, and the only one who can make us truly righteous as a result of faith in him and him alone. Right now, right where you sit, all you need to do is trust in Jesus Christ to believe in him. And the instant you trust in him, you have eternal life, which can never be taken from you. Father, we pray that you would challenge each of us with what we studied this morning and that we would uh, make the effort to make your word the highest priority in our life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.